Welcome to our third and final episode in our series that we're calling Roe v. Wade, Redemptive Wisdom for Christians. Uh, my name again is Luke Brodine, and I'm here with Pastor Jimmy Egan. Uh, and in our first episode, we sought to answer what does redemptive wisdom look like in a context of division. And then in the second episode, uh, we look to answer what a biblical wisdom for loving God looks like by embracing what he says to us in his word about life in the womb. Now, in this episode, we're going to look at uh, what wisdom the Bible offers us for loving our neighbors. And in a context of tension and polarization, how do we turn to wisdom into acts of love? Well, I'd like to start, Luke, with patient persuasion. It's a skill that we have to learn. Um, And I'd say the first thing is just be ready to be misunderstood. Um, If we engage conversations about life, about uh, biblical wisdom, about life in the womb, about abortion, if we engage those conversations the way that we should, then some people are going to hear disagreement with their position as a personal attack against them. Um, Now, we we don't need to use that as an excuse to behave like jerks. But we've got to be aware of this cultural trend. We're, we're in a moment when almost any significant disagreement is interpreted as a personal attack. And so there are going to be times that we will be misunderstood. We've got to be patient, and we have to be ready for people to respond with anger. And, um, and that leads to the next principle in my mind, which is the only way to offset that kind of misunderstanding and anger is to treat people with so much kindness and to be so consistently faithful to them as friends, caring neighbors, that something in their brain says, it does not seem right to me that this person would attack me. They're disagreeing, which my culture tells me to interpret as a personal attack, but this person has loved me so consistently uh, that that they that can't be happening. And so uh, patient persuasion involves... Um, long periods of loving people well so that we create that pause in their mind when they feel like, oh, I'm being attacked, and something else says, no, this person isn't like that. And uh, so when it comes to persuading someone, patient persuasion, the key single most important factor in persuasion is what does someone else think about my character? If they know that I've loved them consistently, consistently been a loving, kind friend, then it creates that pause that they say, wait a minute, this person couldn't really be attacking me, even though it might feel like it. Jimmy, that's great. I really think that's a helpful uh, way to see how to have this posture uh, in, in the world today. Now, what, Jimmy, what does that look like? Well, I came across a great example recently reading uh, an article by a woman named Anna Lynn Frazier. Uh, the title of the article is, Why Overturning Roe is Good for Women. Uh, this is a woman whose views on abortion have changed uh, since she became a Christian. And she writes this uh, sentence at the beginning of that article that I think just encapsulates so much of of the skill that we have to learn. Uh, So I'd like to dig into that quote. It's so important. Uh, Here's what she says. I know many smart, compassionate women who are mourning the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade because they're outraged by what they genuinely perceive as an attack on women. Now, keep in mind, she is writing those words in the context 
of an article that says, I think that overturning Roe was a good thing, and I think that it was actually good for women. But she begins by modeling these skills of patient persuasion. The first thing she does is she says, I know many smart, compassionate women. I have friendships. I have relationships with people. Um, and so anything she's going to say is coming out of that context of, of relationship. And then you see that she's listened uh, in the context of relationship. The friends she has are mourning. She has listened to them enough to know that they are outraged. She may not be outraged, but she has listened well to them. And she can say they genuinely think that uh, this decision by the Supreme Court was an attack on women. So she, she's functioning in this relational context of friendship. I know these women. She has listened to them well. And then you notice that she characterizes them as smart and compassionate. She disagrees with them about uh, abortion, but she still views them as human beings. She hasn't demonized them. And there's not a point at which she has said, you know what, you are mourning and outraged, so I don't even know how to talk to you. She doesn't say, you're a stupid, selfish monster. Now, can I take a moment to tell you what I think about this issue? Um, Instead, she's demonstrating this kind of patience and love and friendship And from that place, she seeks to persuade people. And she says plainly that her position differs from theirs. I just think this this one sentence encapsulates so much of um, the skill that we have to learn to be able to speak into these issues. That sounds like a a great article. Um, We'll make sure that we put a link to that uh, in our description so that uh, if you want to go and uh, read more uh, from Ann Lynn Frazier, that uh, you could be able to digest that there. Um, now, Jimmy, give me some other ways that we can love our neighbors. Well, we got to be ready to meet needs. Um, that almost goes without saying. We've in this series have been drawing from the wisdom of the Book of James, and uh, James chapter one, verse twenty-seven, is this classic summary of what it looks like to love God well and love our neighbor well. James says, "Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this." to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So uh, this need to care for and keep caring for a wide range of people who are in significant need. Uh, James mentions widows and orphans. These are people who, in, in his cultural context, had nobody else to protect them or provide for them. Uh, costly love for people who need that kind of support, we've got to be ready to, to meet needs. And, um, and that will answer the criticism that says, uh, you Christians are all talk and uh, you're hypocrites. You, you're only pro-birth. You aren't really interested in caring for children once they come into this world or caring for the needs of their mothers and their families. And uh, we've just got to listen to what God's Word says to us here. Each of us has a wide range of neighbors in need. And anything we have to say or do about abortion is just going to fall flat if we aren't also willing to pursue this biblical calling to care for and keep caring for people in costly ways. Now, here's a little bit of good news I've come across in studying this issue. It's, it's common to critique Christians and say, you know, you're all talk uh, about care for people in need. There's some recent studies that are showing that Christians, for example, adopt children at more than twice the national average. Um, 
and other studies that show that among people who attend church weekly and pray daily, if you describe yourself that way as somebody who attends church weekly and pray daily, 65% of those people versus 41% of other Americans uh, donate money, time, and other kinds of possessions to care for those who are impoverished. Um, the Spirit is moving God's people in practical ways. Um, we, we can't rest on our laurels. We can't say we're doing enough because a couple of polls say so. But let's ask God to lead us to greater care for all of our neighbors, and that's going to include uh, care for our unborn neighbors as well. Uh, as I'm listening, I can think of literally thousands of ways that we could go about doing this. Could you possibly suggest just a few uh, to help us get thinking uh, further down this road? Yeah, let's start with uh, practical support. We can support adoption. We can support foster care. We can support counseling and other services for pregnant women. Um, our deacons here at InTown are developing a focus on how do we care for uh, families that are in crisis and, and in deep need. And uh, our deacons will be able to connect you with uh, ministries and, and partnerships where you could get involved in caring for people and caring for ministries to teen moms and their children, for example. Um, you could visit our church website and uh, see our, our, the, the page with our deacons, and, and you'll find a, a liaison for each of these ministries there. Um, so those are some avenues for practical support. Um, as believers uh, in, in God's power, we, we can't overlook the importance of prayer. Um, just pastorally, I'm thinking about praying for three uh, kinds of things, praying for parents and for youth ministry leaders and for teachers that are having conversations with children and students because they're reading the news, they're keeping up with this conversation. There are a whole lot of conversations going on around us, and, and let's pray for those uh, who have opportunity to engage those with our uh, young people. Pray for the church. Pray for the church broadly. Pray for in town specifically to follow Jesus into paths of truth and love and holiness and compassion. And then, you know, Scripture tells us to pray for kings and all who are in positions of authority in 1 Timothy chapter 2. So let's pray for our government leaders to be wise and just. One other thing I want to mention is, is being ready to weep with those who weep. Um, that's a principle that comes from Romans chapter 12. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I read recently another article by a pastor in our denomination. His name is James Forsyth. And uh, he tells a story of learning, along with his girlfriend, that they were expecting a child before they were married. And he says, you know, we were hopeless teenagers. We felt like we had no other option besides abortion. And then he tells the story of a church community that came alongside them with compassion and care instead of judgment. And at the end of this article, he issues a challenge, and he just says, help your community see that your church is the best place for people to come when they don't know where else to turn. Yeah, that is a great challenge. Um, and we, you mentioned a couple of websites, both where you can find on our website as well as this other article. We'll make sure, again, put those in the description so that uh, you can follow up on those after you're done listening here. But Jimmy, if it'd be okay, I'd like to take uh, a moment and step back and put on the hat of a cynic. Um, I feel like it'd be easy to say, Jimmy, 
you're a pastor, you're supposed to say these things, right? Um, maybe they're true for some other people out there, some other church, but um, can these things really happen? Can we actually make a difference? I think my first response is I'm still having a hard time imagining Luke as a cynic. Um, so <laughs> give me a minute with that metaphor. Um, no, just honest confession. That that voice is probably louder in my head than in anybody else's. You know, I, okay, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to say all these things. I'm supposed to talk like this. Um, but what is it? Does this really pay off in the real world? And so reflecting, I, I just want to share two real-life stories about real people and real churches. Uh, the first story starts in Clemson, South Carolina, on a really rainy night. Uh, a young couple showed up at our church there and said, can we talk to somebody? We're dating. We just found out we're going to have a baby. We don't have any money, any support. We don't know what to do or where to go. A woman in our church invited that couple to her home for a meal. No questions asked, no notice. She treated them like honored guests. The response wasn't, how could you? Or, man, this is a real crisis. The response was, it is an honor to meet you. It is a privilege that you would come to us and ask for help. Now, I have to tell you that woman is one of my heroes. She happens to be my wife. Um, She is a hospitality warrior, and she demonstrated it in that moment. Uh, later, I called an elder in our church. He owned some rental properties. I was just thinking, you know, I had very small faith. I wasn't really trusting God's power to do very much. And I was thinking this man might know some people to talk with for leads on housing for this couple. But God was amazing. Before I hung up the phone, this man had said, it's taken care of. I've got a place, and as long as they need it, they will have it. Uh, the generosity that he showed, that his wife showed, I still don't know how much they sacrificed financially to take care of that couple. I don't know how many people even knew that he did that. That's kind of the point. The grace of Jesus had overflowed to this man and to his wife, and, and they were ready to share that grace with somebody in need. They didn't want credit for it. They didn't want publicity. They were just uh, letting the love of Christ uh, that had flowed to them flow out through them as well. That's just one story, but I think about the grace of Jesus being infinite and constant, and I just have to ask, why can't there be so many stories like that that we will not be able to count them? That That is a great story, Jimmy. It would be amazing to um, be hearing more and more of those stories coming out of our community and other communities that we're uh, connected to. Um, you had a, said you had a second story you'd like to share. Yeah, so this one starts right here in Atlanta. So I've been reading this academic paper by a local Ph.D. student, uh, permission from him to read it and refer to it. Um, He was summarizing interactions that he's had with people outside a facility that's not too far from in town where abortions are performed. And he mentions in his paper a woman who was there praying, and he gives details of his conversation with her. As you read the paper, it becomes really clear that he doesn't share and he doesn't quite understand her perspective as a Christian regarding abortion or life in the womb. But he concludes the whole paper by saying her humility was an essential part of her character. And these are the words he used to describe this woman. She was warm, open, 
committed, caring, and thoughtful. And then the very last line, he says, basically, I think people in our society, as divided as it is, might find it easier to compromise and work towards solutions if everyone they disagreed with was this caring and thoughtful. And I want us, want us just to hear that. When people are afraid that you will be uncaring and unthoughtful because you're a Christian, and then they have a conversation with you and find out just the opposite, that you can disagree with them in a loving, patient, thoughtful way, it gives hope to them. Uh, it strengthens our faith when, have, when we have an opportunity to do that. But uh, I think it can bring hope to our city. Uh, this woman is one of my heroes, too. She is not my wife, but she is a member of InTown. And so I imagine what it might be like if every week 100 conversations like that were happening around Atlanta, 200, 300, about abortion, about any number of issues where Christians seem to be out of step with the wider culture. And what if the result was one or two or 300 of our neighbors feeling not rejected or attacked or talked down to, but feeling like there would be more hope for our whole society if everybody were this loving and thoughtful in the way that they approach disagreements. Those are real stories about real people. They're not possible because I know a couple of heroes. They're possible because Jesus came into our world to bring real healing through real grace. Um, James 1.27 tells us to visit widows and orphans in their need, to care for them. That very same word is found in Luke chapter 7. Jesus raises the son of a widow from the dead, and the crowds say, God has visited his people. When we were in need, Jesus drew near to us uh, to take care of us. And um, the grace that has come to us through him can, can overflow through us to our neighbors, to our city, and meet more needs than we could ever imagine. I hope that that will happen more and more over time. Jimmy, I love that vision, uh, and I hope that we, uh, as the in-town community, can begin to live that out more, uh, to love God faithfully and love our neighbors faithfully. Um, thank you, Jimmy, for taking this time uh, to prepare and uh, discuss uh, around our topic of redemptive wisdom for Christians around the issue of Roe v. Wade. Um, and thank you, listeners, uh, for being with us for these three episodes. Uh, we're looking forward to uh, hearing from Jimmy again sometime soon uh, as he unpacks his uh, sabbatical, and I hope that you'll join us for that. Thanks.